This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Afternoon everyone, 12.02 and a half here on 3RRR FM on a soggy old winter. Someone has flicked the switch to winter, haven't they? It's well and truly in that mode now. After our Someone's little... had the shower on. Yes. Get <laughs> in... the shower! A bit of an Indian autumn in Melbourne and now it's... Um... But you know what I like about this time of year? What's that, man? It's really still. It's oh. crisp and still outside. It's, it's still quite beautiful, even though it's cold and wet. If we could generalise and say about the month of June, it is the still misty... The still misty month, mm. and uh, and what a good thing it is. <laughs> yes, um, greetings to everyone. Thanks to the scientists, as always. Yes, um, a busy, busy studio in there with lots of minds coming together and communicating great things to you. Oh, I would agree. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of heavy. We have. We've been. We've been talking about. We've been political. dairy farmers and this and politics oh, and, and this and food this is politics. I suppose if we're going to do a subset, and they are all excellent things to cover. But we thought we just today we'll just go back to basics and just talk about food, chill, and how to make it. Yeah, going to chill it out, man. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do first of all is we. I was lucky enough to go to Red Hill to. Um, or to dig up truffles, and I've never done that. I've never been in a truffier. Sorry, I just turned French. No, I'm okay now. <laughs> so, so did you have the, the puppy dog or did you have the massive 400-kilogram pig? Well, apparently in France, there's a lot of um, the old-school dudes with the pigs. Yeah. Um, you look at their hands if they wave to you. Ah, yeah. bonjour, how are you? <laughs> if they give you a the lot time of the day. times you'll go, man, you're lo- you've lost some fingers. And, oh, really? And because... Um, the pig... Piggy wants his truffle. Pig wants the truffle more than life itself. (laughs) I will get to the truffle, get out of my way, Jacques or Claude or, you know, whoever you are. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's practice now to use dogs. But the point of this interview is the, the fact that maybe it's time if you've never had a truffle before and you've never brought a truffle home, which Mm. I'm here that you haven't. I have not. I have seen them before at the market Mm. sitting in there on the top shelf with the scary price tag, but... A little bit of truffle can go a very long way. And that's what we're going to uh, have a look at. We're going to be talking to Nigel Wood, who's a truthier around that area, who's mm-hmm. hoping for a bumper harvest. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's about to happen. So we'll talk a little bit about um, this crazy fungi that uh, that grows underneath the, the soil in this symbiosis with uh, deciduous trees. Mm. So, anyway, that's coming up. Um, and then we've got a market for a brief thing. Uh, I request of John... A minestrone kit. Which is a bloody good thing to have on I it think it's today. a bloody good thing to have on it. I, I, saw it do it. I saw it in the boot of your car. Very impressive quantity of food. It's like, wow, what's that? Ah, look at all that. And I you're eat. like, it's a future minestrone. It is a future minestrone, and it is also a couple other future meals for the week. So I've done my shopping for the week, which is good. So I have a chat to um, to John. And then we talk about something that we've been highlighting that we will. We've promised for a couple of weeks, and we're yes. actually going there. And we thought we'd have a quick chat about tools in the kitchen mm. and there are all these sort of subgroups of things that you need like a knife you know you, you yeah you need a good knife and you need some boards but then there's the whole thing about gadgets and then yes. augmented tools and things like that single-use gadgets are sort of my enemy oh, I've, and i've got one of those to oh, show really? later on yeah yeah the uh, the cherry pipper 
which I reckon in about the 10 years I've had it, I've maybe used as many times. But think, when you need it, it's great. I think we have a cherry picker in our top drawer. So, you know, because everyone has that drawer in the kitchen where yeah. you just put all, like, you've got your cutlery, and then underneath it, you've just got all the, all the junk, all your spatulas and your spoons. That's and it. Right at the back of that is where you will find the cherry picker. Well, mine was sort of needed a good clean before <laughs> I brought it out. But I brought it out, and I brought out some other things, so I thought we might discuss that. Uh, so yeah, gadgets, mm. and we go to Chef's Hat in South Melbourne, where I find an old buddy of mine, Josh. Yes, and um, he brings out a couple of things that he thinks are kind of good. I think some of them are a bit silly. Really? Well, you know, mm. but that's you know the way way stuff works. Uh, before we do go any further, we should mention that on Friday, of course, it was the uh, Community Radio Day of Action. Um, I hope you have uh, done your thing, but just in case you haven't, mm. uh, maybe we should reiterate it. Um, the federal budget cut $1.4 million per year from community radio. Yes. Equivalent to, well, you know, a bit of change at the back of the couch, as I think as I said last time, or a drop in the ocean for the federal budget. That's uh, triple R words, not mine. And without that money, we may not be able to transmit on the digital signal thing. Now, it should be also mentioned this affects all community stations. This is 1.4 million for just us. Mm -hmm. This is for all community radio. So I guess what we need to do, we would love you to sign a petition at keepcommunityradio.org.au. Now, the good news is this week, uh, the Greens have always committed to that funding, uh, and the Labor Party have now committed to the funding should they Oh, did they? So there's just one major party left who just happened to be in government. This is the same government, by the way, that turned off Channel 31. So thanks for that. Yeah, and and ostensibly to provide another shopping network frequency, (laughs) really, to to sell the the Nutribullet. Yeah. You know, and... Anyway. Breathe. Keep moving. What you there can we do, go. Don't go into that. this. Don't go into a polemic, Cam. Uh, keepcommunityradio.org.au <laughs> is the website. Or you can get uh, in contact with your local uh, Liberal or National Party candidate for this election and tell them that you think it's dumb. And say hi and say I'm waiting for you with a brick. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't say that. I don't mm. want to know. We don't want to have violence against no. politicians. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 1936, something happened. Really? Uh, On this day, this is uh, the 5th of June 2016. That's right. Uh, Sylvan Goldman. (laughs) Sylvan Goldman. Ran a successful chain of grocery stores where customers could carry handbaskets while they shopped. Nothing innovative there, you would say. Oh, they might have been for the time. Oh, yeah. But in 1936... When he was a major owner of the Piggly Wiggly supermarket chain. (laughs) Where are you going? I'm off to Piggly Wiggly, Dale. Do you want some eggs? Yeah, okay. I'll see you at Piggly Wiggly. Um, He invented the shopping cart. Really? So, yes. Which we we would call a trolley here in Australia. Yes, indeed. And in New Zealand, they call them trundlers. Trundlers? Have you got a trundler? Must must be... Damage eggs if you do it too fast over a judder bar. Um, anyway, he got the idea from a wooden folding chair, and he designed the cart by putting a basket on the seat, another below the wheels. Anyway, it was all great, but apparently, because people resist change, Matt. Really? They yes, do. This is true. Yes. They do indeed. Customers were reluctant to use this new contraption, so Goldman hired fake shoppers to wheel the carts around pretending to shop so people could see how useful the cart could be. <laughs> And so they became a hit. Um, so there you go. It's um, Today is Gingerbread Day. Is this indeed? Boom. Uh, feast Day of St. Boniface, patron saint of brewers. Boom. 
Um, what else is happening? Oh, yeah, the in Denmark, it's the Jellinge Eel Festival. The what? Jellinge Eel Festival. Mm-hmm. J-Y-L-L-I-N-G. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> uh, they uh, serve fried eel, which I guess could be okay. It's not as bad as possibly the worst thing the English make in their cuisine. Mm-hmm. Jellied eel. Mm. One of the most disgusting things. Yeah, I've not had it. I don't think I will. On this planet. And I think I had one more thing to do. No, I don't think I did. Was that about it? That's all right, because we best not tarry. We best not tarry. There's a lot to get through. Mm. Um, so, Maddie, without any further ado. We're going to pay some mortgage and then uh, we're going to come back and talk truffles. And may I say mm-hmm. that we are delighted that you chose to join us here on this wet Sunday. Nigel Wood, first of all, very, very lovely to meet you and to uh, be in this magnificent setting on the Mornington Peninsula. Pretty good, pretty good day for a truffle hunt, Cameron. And there it is. You've nailed your colours to the oh. mast very early, oh. Nigel, and that's what I like about you, even though we've only just met. <laughs> <laughs> the fact is that what we are seeing, perhaps, is the democratisation of the truffle. The truffle has come down from the lofty peaks. Yep. And it is now time with this industry the way it is that we now have it for everyone. And you're the facilitator. You're the conduit of that, we could say. Trying hard, uh, Cameron. I mean, um, people people have been told for too long, I think, that, uh, you know, truffle's the most expensive food and two and a half, three thousand dollars $3,000 a kilogram. Well, you know, mm. you don't need a kilogram of truffle unless you've got 100 people coming around for tea, you know. Uh, you need maybe three, five grams a course per person. It's, 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 it may be not an everyday thing, but you'll spend, um, you might spend 60 or 80 bucks uh, on some truffle and you will have a very good time with uh, four or five guests um, and a three-course meal. And then, you, then, of course, with that little trick we were talking about earlier, the infusion, mm. you get your free, um, your free bonus um, truffle-infused Truff, eggs. eggs and, and, and rice. Now, th- there's an interesting analogy with this, because when you, when you said that about how it's expensive, and it is expensive, but it's not stupidly expensive, the same can be said for the world's most expensive spice, Saffron. Mm-hmm. Saffron is stupidly expensive, yep. and yet you only need to use... Tiny, tiny, tiny. Bang. Yeah, yeah. so there it is. First of all, let's just go back. How old is this industry now in this country? First trees were planted in 93, mm-hmm. and uh, first truffles produced in 1999. So uh, New Zealand were actually the first... Uh, that was the first place in the Southern Hemisphere to produce truffles. And we should also bring up that name again, Dr. Ian Hall. Ian Hall, yeah. yeah. God so, bless you, Ian. Yep, yep. Thank you, thank you Ian. Um, he, he was the inoculator. He was, and... Um, the instigator. There's an interesting little story there, Cameron, because mm. uh, that fungus is actually a prohibited import in New Zealand, so there's an interesting <coughs> question about how he got his inoculum into New Zealand, but we won't go there, don't, will we? Don't <laughs> go there. Could be like how Murray Tyrrell got that first bit of Pinot from yeah. stealing clones from mm. the CSIRO. Yep. Uh, yeah, so for every great fortune comes a crime. In, Some in, people do say so. that. I think so. But what you've been doing, you are a... So I'm a grower. grower. What's the, the proper name for that? Truffier. Truffier is, is, is the name for a truffle farm. Yeah, that's a French um, term. It is a French term. Yeah. Um, and, uh, of and course... So the, what does that mean? I mean, basically that you've planted a whole bunch of trees. The roots of which were inoculated when they were babies mm. with uh, a truffle um, uh, inoculum. So that's basically, really, it's just blitzed truffle. Yeah. That's, that's the simplest way to do it. There yeah. are fancier ways to do it. So the roots are colonised by the fungus. 
you Tuba plant Melanosporum. Tuba Mano- M- Melanosporum. Yeah. There are um, in the early days when the uh, when those inoculation techniques weren't as polished as they are now, because we know a lot more now. Science is only forty years old, Cameron. So mm. know, we're still learning a lot. Um, in the early days, there were cross contaminants, but nowadays uh, the DNA has been the genome of the of the truffles has been cracked, and so we can now test that we've got the right fungus on the roots of the tree and not the ones that we don't want because of course um, uh, those uh, there are some fungi that will compete to live on the roots of the tree and build that symbiotic relationship so you want the good stuff you don't want those ones no No, you're not invited yeah that's exactly right so and you know the um the the truffle really does have a sort of partnership relationship with the tree in that at its at its at its simplest the tree is um feeding the truffle sugars Yes. And the truffle is feeding nutrients to the tree, principally phosphorus. I am your banana. Yeah. It, it, it says. Yep, you got it. So, yeah. you know, that's why there were a few people in the early days before the relationship was uh, between the tree and the truffle was understood who planted truffle trees in old chook yards, which are full of phosphorus, of course, from the chook poo. From the, uh, what we get, dynamic Now, lifting. so, of course, uh, those trees are never going to produce truffle because the tree, the tree figures, okay, well, I've already got phosphorus. What do I need you for, truffle? Yeah. Yeah, so that's symbiotic. In, so, in Australia, what we need to do, we we have soils with a pH of ours are old soils, you know, pH of five, five point five. Right. The ideal pH for the truffle is seven point eight or eight. So, on my little patch, which way is that going? That's going acidic, isn't yeah. it? Because you uh, go up, you go it's acidic. Going alcohol, uh, um, seven is around neutral. Seven's neutral. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, gotcha, yeah. So, what we've got here. Uh, with those um, pH soils, those old soils, 5.5, we need to add a lot of lime. Um, so that's so on my little patch, which is just one and a half hectares, I've put about a hundred tons of lime. That's a lot of trucks. Uh, it looked like, and that that I did to prepare the ground before I even planted. I mean, he's painting everything white. You bet. It looked, seriously, <laughs> it, seriously, Cameron, it looked like it would it had snowed. Or an attack of the seagulls, or something like that. <laughs> and so big, t- big, big time seagulls. Yeah. Um, and so then you, you work the lime into the soil. There might be some other micronutrients um, that you might need to add. And then um, you might wait 6 or 12 months for that to properly assimilate. You run a disc through it and so on to incorporate it in, in the soil so that when the roots of the tree grow down, they're still in that pH, uh, ch- change pH environment. In the good zone. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, what that also does is it has the secondary benefit in Australia of... Um, there are lots of fungi everywhere in forests and farms and all the rest of it. But when you add the lime um, and you change the pH so significantly, what you're also doing, of course, is you're changing the conditions so that the background, the native fungi that have been growing in that area, they're all basically killed off because you've changed the environment. Yeah, what are you to doing make, to us? Yeah. yeah. So they go bye Yeah. And you've made uh, the perfect home for, uh, for the truffle. And the truffle itself, this little tuber that lives amongst the roots, sometimes actually a little bit closer to the surface than than I thought yep. and when we wandered around the the truffle patch. Yep. These uh, things have a symbiotic relationship with only two trees, and that's oak and hazel. There are more trees that can be hosts, but the hosts that are the host trees that are most reliable yeah. are generally speaking different kinds of oaks. The holm oak or holly oak is. Um, Quercus ilex is the most used around the world for yes. a host. 
Um, and most Australian growers, uh, if they've got oaks, they've got Quercus ilex. But also, hazels are also uh, used as well. They're, they're quite good. And you also well. get a nut crop out Absolutely. Some, uh, uh, Absolutely. As, as well. And now, I want to hear about this festival that is, is coming up, but mm. maybe we might just have a quick snapshot of the industry. So the industry is how old now in this country? Well, first planting's is 1993. Yeah. There are about 200 growers in Australia. Most of the uh, trophies on the uh, east coast are boutique stuff. So mm. that might be people with uh, as few as 200 trees through to maybe 3,000 trees. Yeah. But there are some 100-pound uh, gorillas over in uh, the West, um, which is Monstrous. really... Monstrous. Yeah. 36,000 trees. 36,000 okay, trees. Let's just let that just sink into people. 36,000? <laughs> That's a lot of trees. That is a lot of trees. Yeah. So um, there are some really big plantations over in the West... And it's not surprising that more than three-quarters of the truffle grown in Australia comes out of the Manjimup pemberton region. Um, in Victoria last year, we probably harvested, I'd say, about 120 to 140 uh, kilograms. Uh, there's a bit more coming out of New South Wales and a bit more still coming out of Tasmania, but the majority of truffles grown in, in uh, culinary, these culinary truffles grown in Australia are coming out of um, uh, coming out of Western Australia. So what's the total for uh, roundabout? We grew about uh, a bit over eight tonnes of truffle last year. That makes us the fourth largest truffle producing in the uh, producing country in the world. So so we've gone from nothing in in, in, the, in the 90s yeah. to now the fourth largest producer. So how, do the, how does the ladder go, so uh, to speak? So, so the ladder is... Um, French? Uh, French, Spanish, Italian, which, and then which us. Which sometimes flip over depending they on the do, seasonal They do, depending on the seasonal variations country to country. So there are a lot of plantations still being planted in Spain because mm. land and labour are relatively cheap. They're certainly cheaper than Australia. But, of course, the advantage that we have in the Southern Hemisphere is that we're producing truffle um, in the Northern Hemisphere summertime. How much gets exported? And nearly all of it. Nearly, nearly all of it. Nearly all of it. 85% of the Australian crop is exported. So to it goes Europe most, and, uh, I'd say, China. Asia. Um, China's an interesting case in point. We'll come back to that one. Okay. Um, US is big. Yes. There's a big market. Um, certainly Asia. A bit into the Middle East and quite a bit into Europe. So U- USA would be the number one destination country. There are some challenges with China. Um, and they derive in part because there is a... a a truffle, um, there are a couple of truffle species, culinary truffle species, um, one of which, tuba and dicum, looks very much like the tuba melanosporum, the French black truffle that we're growing here. Looks same, same, tastes no good. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's not much good, and yeah. it's, a, it's rampant. If the spores of that truffle got away in, in uh, a truffle paddock in, in Australia, the industry would be wrecked. Really? So as a consequence, um, the Truffle Growers Association, of which I was the secretary for a number of years, we lobbied the Australian government to ban that truffle's uh, import into Australia. And free China free trade agreements oh. notwithstanding, the Chinese basically are saying, well, hang on, Mate. our truffle can't come to you, so yeah, how, you, come? how, how you come yours about? can come here? So there's a lot of truffle going into, um, so poli- into Hong food, Kong. Food politics. Yeah, and this, you know, there's a big substitution racket as well. Um, <clears throat> Frankly speaking, why am I surprised? Which country is the biggest importer of that Chinese truffle? France. And what really? happens when it gets there? It kind of gets mixed in with the other stuff that it no, looks like. No, they wouldn't not course, do this, no, would they? So the French industry really needs to pull its socks up in that regard, and there are they are taking steps to do that. But yeah, Fran- mm. France is the biggest Im- importer of that imposter truffle. So big French gorilla. Now, um, what is it about this thing that makes it so beguiling? For those that have never had a truffle, what's so special about these things? 
Look, um, where do you start? Uh, there are a lot of truffle stories, but the uh, taste is unlike anything else. I think that's really the, the taste and the aroma combination. And sometimes, you know, with some dishes, it's more um, caught on the nose rather than on the uh, rather than yeah, yeah. rather than on the tongue, as it were. And for others, the reverse for other uh, uh, dishes, the reverse is, is true. But it's just such an unusual and seasonal ingredient All right, Nigel, that it's just to be enjoyed once a year, one season a year. Have a stab. Describe it to us. Look, um, it's <laughs> hardest question. I mean, going mm. back to your banana, you know, describe a banana um, mm. uh, to someone who's never tasted a banana. I'll say, I'll say, um, sexy, dirty socks, mustardy. Uh, uh, sorry, garlicky, um, yeah. earthy. Um, they're the sorts of words I'd, I'd, I'd use. Earth and sex. Yeah. Look, it is. It's truffles are a lot about sex. I mean, there are yeah. a lot of people who will say that truffles are a great. Uh, uh, aphrodisiac. There is a story um, that Napoleon, who at the time was childless, one of his officers had had, um, um, I don't know, nine kids or something. And um, this this uh, officer came from the tr- a truffle growing region in France. And, and, the, and, and the, the Corsican em- was curious. Yes, was he? he was indeed curious. And yeah. when he discovered that story, um, many truffles were ordered for, um, uh, <laughs> for, for, for him and Josephine. And uh, lo and behold, Nine months later, as the story goes. We have progeny thanks to this truffle. So so here it is. This is something that is, it's a flavouring, but it is mainly an aroma. And some of the things that best do it is you need a vehicle for this aroma, don't you? You do. And so... Generally speaking, we can say that it's 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 fats that carry uh, the flavour. So, um, uh, and the black truffle will, unlike the white truffle, which is the most famous and valuable truffle mm. only found in the wild, uh, that truffle won't take any cooking really, whereas the black truffle can take a bit of heat. Yes. Um, so, and it's the heat that uh, helps release the flavour. So, you know, just to take a, a simple dish like my favourite truffle dish, actually scrambled eggs, you you you, you can add the um, uh, some gr- some shaved truffle, right just when you're just before you're about to serve uh, the scrambled eggs, or the pasta, or the whatever, 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 and mm. it's the heat and the and the fats that actually carry the flavour. So, for example, you know a um, salami with truffle is absolutely marvellous. Pork fat and truffle are, mm. uh, are really good. So, porchetta and salami and so on, lo- lovely with truffle. And and if you go down to somewhere like Maker and Munger with um, Anthony, yeah. hi Anthony, if you're listening, he does a beautiful thing where he gets a brie de mieux, a big yep. big old yep. brie, yep. cut it in half, yep. lengthways, yep. Fruit, fruit, and then just lay truffles in there, yep. wrap it up, let that macerate. Yep. It's not infusing because there's no heat, yeah. and it works. It sure does. It's I mean, and how easy is that? I mean, a brie sandwich, get a wheel of brie, halve it, put some truffle in the middle, mm. wrap it back up again, stick it in the fridge for uh, 24, 48 hours to uh, to work its magic, and there you go. I want to tell you about one of my dishes that I had that I reckon truffles work, but before we do go, you need to tell me and us um, about this truffle festival that's, uh, yeah. that's impending. Okay, so, so we've got a big weekend uh, uh, in mid-June at uh, Paran Market, so everybody thinks truffle is expensive. Yeah. This is a free weekend. Yeah. So we've got uh, mock truffle dog hunts, dogs showing how without the dog there's no truffle, so you've yeah. got to have the dogs. Yeah. Some fabulous chefs uh, demonstrating some more complex dishes, and also um, uh, Sarah, uh, the the truffle hound, showing simple dishes to, to uh, for, that anybody can uh, prepare at home. So Guy Grossi, 
uh, Paul Wilson, Philippe Michel, great chef lineup. That's um, a big triumph. Yeah, right? yeah, that's, that's, yeah. the, the, those guys are pretty heavy hitters. That's and, heavy. And, and Nikki Reimer, who does beautiful things <coughs> in her. Nikki's, Nikki's doing a demonstration, as she did last year for us at Paran. Mm. So there are some great chefs uh, across, uh, across the weekend. And uh, also some fabulous truffle tastes because traders around the market, you know, the butcher's doing a truffled sausage and, and um, there's going to be truffled beer and there'll be um, some, uh, some, some great truffle tastes that are affordable. You know, I mean, mm. we're talking um, dishes that are, um, you know, $10, $15, $15 with truffle. Gotcha. So the, the Paran market, we could say, is sort of the hub of the truffle, but there's other stuff like spokes from a wheel coming out that uh, in other areas that are going to be around. Yeah, there are. So we, we did, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, now that the cold's arrived in, um, in Victoria, we will be uh, starting truffle hunts as the, uh, every weekend as the um, uh, season arrives and the truffles ripen. And as uh, we, we hope for more of these lovely cold we mornings. Sure do. We sure yeah. do. We, we truffle growers love them. It yeah. might not be comfortable for other listeners, but, uh, but yeah, uh, the cool evenings help the truffle ripen. So yeah. as we saw in the, in the paddock today, um, you know, there are lots of truffles there. Most of them, except that one that we, we, we sniffed after Thomas, after the um, hunting dog found it, that one is just an early ripening. So with another, another week or two of this, these cold nights, we're going to have nice ripe truffle in Victoria. And I forgot to mention the dates, Cameron. So Paran Market is um, Saturday 18 and uh, Sunday 19 of, um, uh, of June. Yeah, not we're, far away. Not far away. We've got a, we've got a um, uh, fabulous masterclass. Uh, so that's working truffle with beer, cheese, with salami, with spirits. Uh, that's at the Craft & Co. on the 10th of uh, July. Mm. And then, uh, well, here we are in beautiful Red Hill, looking at the paddock that will s- soon pop up. Uh, a very a fine green paddock, I must say. This rains have been good for you guys. It is. 16 and 17 of, uh, of July, is we're down here at, at Red Hill. Peak and, truffle. And look, really, the whole thing, Cameron, is about the fantastic collaborations that are going on down here in the, in the Foodie Peninsula. We've, we're, um, we're showcasing the work that Jenny McCauley from Red Hill Truffles does with other producers uh, in, uh, in this neck of the woods. So, again, truffle with cheese, truffled, um, truffled vodka. Um, there's a chocolatier coming. There, there, are, there are all manner, I think, uh, latest count, maybe almost 20 different producers locally who are working with truffle in one way or another. It's a world of truffle. It's been democratised. Oh, it's coming down off the mountain, we could sort of say. And uh, you're all invited. Of course there's a website. There is, trufflemelbourne.com. That's easy. Thank you, Nigel. Lovely to meet you. Cheers. Well, I I suppose I should probably start this market report with an apology. Um, There is no sunshine on our shoulders. Yeah, big apology. I know. Well, look, I'm sorry. I, I put an order in and it must have got mixed up. Believe me. It couldn't get through the fog because when I left Moorabbin this morning, it was pea soup when I was driving through Brighton. And I really cannot remember the last time I saw thick fog. Yeah, like this. And in fact, um, parking the car today, coming in to walk in, the one thing that I noticed was all these really, really big new apartments obscured. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot more of them coming and hopefully they'll be obscured. Well, and also the thing that we probably need to talk about more importantly, because this is a market report, I am talking to John at the Queen Victoria Market, is that this weather will affect demand, this weather will affect the price. 
It has already, buddy. All right. Well, tell me about it. Let's, let's, right. let's discuss. All right. Well, let's start first what are you with doing? the tomato. You're holding up this tomato. I, I'm sh- I've got this beautiful Doncaster tomato. It's a very bright red. Except it's got the plague. Uh, it's, well, yeah. I'm being provocative. We can deal with the spots but not the plague, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So be nice to my tomato. I just thought I'd just, right? just wrap it. You're being very, very rude there. I am. <laughs> because when you cut the skin mark off, yeah. the tomato inside is bright red. It's full of sugar fragrant and everything now what happens is uh the night air settles on a tomato the yeah. sun comes out in the morning sizzles the water that's burns right. the skin it's now, like a, it's like a little magnifying glass that's right yeah. Un- unfortunately it's not pretty but it's worth the effort we've mm. got clean skin tomatoes don't get me wrong but then we're swapping over to tomatoes that are coming out of south australia from murray bridge wow. beautiful big firm tomato Looks a little bit anemic. It's getting there. Maybe in a couple of weeks it'll be full of flavour. At the moment, it's edible, mm. much better than Queensland rubbish. Excuse the French. Oy. But Oy. still, once you've eaten a Doncaster tomato, it's very hard to eat something else. Now, don't forget, this is, we are, what are we, June 5th or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're just a couple of weeks from the equinox. So, you know, we're in the middle of winter. Uh, yes, well, they're starting, and, and that happens. We're getting it. Now, okay, let's let's um, talk very quickly about uh, the rain and how that's going to have an effect on the prices, as you say, it already has. It already has, okay. Yeah. Cauliflowers and sprouts and broccoli love this weather, mm. so they're dime a dozen. Um, good sprouts down to $4 a kilo. Don't forget there's a lot of work involved in hand-picking them and growing them, so, you know, $4 is very, very cheap. Cauliflower, $3 each. Broccoli, a little bit dearer because a lot of them had a little bit of... Um, uh, disease is a hard word. They had white flowers on them, which is a disease, but it's not a dangerous... Nothing for us. We yeah. could eat that. It wouldn't hurt us. But it affects the growth of the uh, plants. And therefore it's, it affects the look of the plant, which and, affects and the amount that they can get for it. That's right. Yeah. So the price is up a little bit for the best stuff. Yeah. Uh, like I said, collies, dime a dozen... Lettuce, we're getting out of Hay, New South Wales. Uh, a lot of rain. Lettuce is bigger. A lettuce is scarcer. They cost me $3 to buy back. Mm. Then I've got to try to put a small margin on top, mm. and people are still complaining. Why? So you guys have to it's, remember. It's people's nature. Jim. You know, it is nature, yeah. but they have to remember. In yeah. the olden days, in the middle of winter, bangers and mash, mate. I have to be rude and stick it in properly. Bangers and mash, what else was there? An, an orange and maybe some controlled atmosphere uh, uh, controlled atmosphere apples. Well, my dad said when he was a young boy up in Bendigo, his auntie used to nail the lid of the apple box down. You know, one apple per day, if you were lucky. Yeah, well, you know, you so live, now, he used to live in the road. Don't forget, we still have an, we have an abundance now. Yeah. We're spoiled for choice, but we like to eat the same things most... Every week. Very quickly, let's just talk uh, about the things that will probably be affected because, as we were talking about before, uh, 100 mil expected in Greater Sydney, uh, Lithgow flooded, whole bunch of stuff flooded. What are we going to see go up in prices? We're going to see beans go up, for instance? Beans, well, we're selling 9 to $10 a kilo, which is about average for this time of the year. They're not going to be in abundance, so they'll probably stay at that. They normally come back a little bit, but not mm. much. Um, Peas, yes, they got affected. Last of the local peas from Victoria. The new ones that came out of Queensland this week were no good, so we didn't bother with them. Um, 
Bananas probably will go up a little bit. Yeah, not much, probably a little bit. Eh? Last of the local grapes, the Americans are coming soon. I oh, they're like here, that. they're here. The Washington uh, Washington cherries are here. Yeah. Um, and Californian uh, stone fruit has arrived. Yeah, it looks anemic. Stay away from it if you can help it. Oh, finally I get to hear you say this. That's true. I never, I never pushed the American fruit. What about those grapes? Uh, the grapes, yeah, what yeah. do you do, you know? I have to bow to pressure as well. Ah, uh, we'll see. You there know, you the, go. The customer's mostly always right. I always thought, look, <laughs> you're going against your Italianness, your I regional know, it's hard, heart. but what do you do? What do you do? All right, well, look, um, put, bring out your, your Italian heart, because we've only got about five minutes left. All right. Tell so, me how to make a soup, because I've, today is the day to... I need to minister some health to myself. So do you want a minestrone, or do you want a soup? I want a minestrone. All right, so you want a minestrone? I want a minestrone. Our minestrone, where my parents come from, is like a stew. Yes. Everything goes in. Sounds good. So, you know, we've got the basics. We've got potato and onion and garlic, parsley as your herb. Yeah. Um, Parsley's the herb, yeah. All right, so then... So how do we start it? We start with a... We cook the onion? You can cook your onions, but we don't bother. You know, you chuck... Cube all your veggies. You've got... Yep. Uh, well, we've got and, a show pack here that Cameron's put together. That and I and the thing is, the main thing is, the, the most important cut that you make when you make a soup is that very first one. Because that denotes the size of your veggies all the way through. So That's you've right. got to get that first one right, otherwise, how big a cut do you do? The size of a, a, a dice. Yeah. That's good enough. Big P. Yeah. Square. Yeah. Right. Um, so we start so off. So we start off, we've got uh, zucchini. Carrots for colour. Yeah. We've got a Sebago potato. We've got a Swede, believe it or not. Yep. Because a Swede for some people is too strong. But you'll find in a minestrone it won't be strong. Yep. And we've got its cousin, the white turnip. Because the Swede's turnip. a Swede turnip. Yep. And we've got parsnips for sugar. Yep. Now, I said to you before... Oh, you said yellow, not yeah, white. Yeah, don't take the yellow ones because the yellow ones are weak older, more sugar. They said not to take the white ones. Not to take the white ones because yeah. the white ones just come out of the ground. Look yep. at the colour inside. It's virgin white. Excuse the French. But... They're better when they're old because they're sweeter. Yeah. All right, we talked about parsley. We've got the two turnips. Yes. Uh, we've got spring onions that you can chuck in. We've got a yeah. brown onion as well. Yeah, here we and, go. And then, then we've got the things that will define your minestrone. Uh, these are the secondary things, aren't they? Because it's the first yeah. thing, the root vegetables yeah, you they go first. in first. The knees go in on top. But they're not secondary. They're the major ingredients, oh, all right? Okay, yeah, so... Your terminology is good, but not good enough. All right. We got broccoli just for a little bit of colour and texture. Yeah. And we got a few green beans. Handful. Handful. And we got a handful of bolotti beans. Now, your bolotti beans will give you um, body, fibre, fibre, flavour, colour, everything. All right. Yes. Now, those go in. And. And and you know what else I got at home? A hot chilli? No, I got. Well, yeah. But I've also got like about six parmesan rinds. Oh, yeah, see, the northern Italians, because they've got plenty of parmigiano cheese and they've got the rind, Mm. the great chefs of uh, Europe actually put the rinds of the cheese in and the rinds of a Dutch celery. Um, You know, instead of cutting it very thin, they cut it, say, about two centimetres thick, Mm. and I believe that they can use the rind of the Dutch celery in two or three stocks. That's how strong it is. Whoa. And the same with the cheese, if it survives, if you don't pull it out. And I'm going to eat it. Eat I mean, it that's, mate. that's the so, thing we, we, we fight for. That's It'll, the thing that we cannibals do. We tend to eat things when we shouldn't. Yeah, well, why not? Yeah. Hey, but the one thing we haven't talked about is uh, one of the backbones of this is the tomatoes. 
and the tomatoes. Well, well, yeah, I forgot they're sitting on the side, so you're next mm. to the onion. You need your tomato for colour and sweetness as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, anything else you want to put in? Because like I said, there are no rules. You can put everything in. Mm. But major ingredient as well. You've got a bunch of carbonara, which is the Italian kale. Yep. You can put that in. Or, as the northern Italians do in the middle of winter, when maybe they haven't got as much kale as they like, they use the outer leaf of a savoy cabbage, which is very, very coarse. Yeah. Now, what they'll do is they'll chop that very finely and float it in on the top of your minestrone. Really? Yes. And the flavour will go right through your minestrone. Wow. And then when your minestrone is cooked, if you want to blitz it, you do. But chunky's better. Yes. Crusty bread. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at the blitz. Drop of olive oil. Yeah, there you go. Um, we didn't put any meat in, did we? You no, can, yeah, no, you no, can, no. You can if you like. Con, con, con carne. Senza carne. Senza carne, yeah. si, si. But yeah, we're cannibals, so we put a little bit of meat in as well. But, yeah. again, you don't need it. Or you can have chicken stock, you have the brodos, the yes, background. Yes, yes, But I choose not to with but this you one. But don't, you don't need a stock because no. you've got all this natural stuff and it's going to come up on its own. Done. So, and it's not a quick cook either. Mm. So it needs a couple of hours or more. Done. Well, I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to head off to the studio. But before I do go, um, do you have any gadgets in the kitchen? Yeah, we do. I have to be careful what I say because Frank yeah, is home easy, all the time. Easy. Right? Yeah. So she's a slicer and dicer. Yes. Not into the gadgets. She, we've got all the gadgets, but who needs them? You know, when you're proficient, you know what you're doing. You know what size you want. Mm. It's very good knife. Does a lot of things, and that's why I say to a lot of people, you know, you don't need something to be too big or too small. A knife can do wonders for you. Mm. Even when they they want to make say a panzanella, they want cherry tomatoes. Why bother? Get a lovely Doncaster tomato, yeah. slice it into three or four, into your panzanella, into your soup. On top of a steak, anywhere, you know, the knife can do things for you. So it's not hard to get a, a good knife. Watch your fingers, everybody's happy. So, paraphrase the best gadget we've got is our own two hands. Definitely, Damn definitely. Right. Grandma didn't have all the gadgets. No, she didn't. All right, well, look, we're going to leave you here, John. We're going to go to uh, South Melbourne to Josh at Chef's Hat, and we're going to be talking about gadgets coming up next on Eat It on 3 Triple RFM. Thanks, John. Thank you. Have a beautiful day, wet as it is. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, the question of gadgets has come up and we've thought about, well, Matt and I have thought about doing that. And I thought, look, maybe it might be good to bring in a bit of an expert in here, someone who's dealing with this sort of stuff all day, every day, except when he has a day off. And um, I'm here at Chef's Hat in South Melbourne. I'm talking to Josh. Josh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very, very kind of you to take some time to, to speak to us. So as you can hear, folks, we're on the ground floor. Gadget ground floor, uh, dealing with it, looking at it, and some, let's face it, maybe we'll start it off, some gadgets, by their very nature, most of them are sort of one-use sort of thing, some are ridiculous, agreed? Correct, 100%, definitely. And maybe, what would you like to sort of put forward as maybe being one of the most ridiculous gadgets around this place that you've seen (laughs) pass through the cash register? It would have to be the onion glasses. The onion glasses. The day medna. Yes, the day mednas. <laughs> have Have you seen these folks? They're sort of halfway between swimming goggles and um, a Dame Everidge meets a Lunig cartoon. Yeah, hundred percent. We've, di- we, we've diamantes. 
Are they real diamantes? No, they're no, just no. They're, mock, they're not even real diamantes. Um, so the idea is, I suppose, that uh, you uh, foam seal protects eyes from vapors to stop you from crying when chopping onions. Do they, do they work? I mean, have you have you road tested these? Oh, I haven't personally, but we uh, we do get a lot of people as the uh, the old stocking filler at Christmas time. That's when we first bought them out yeah. um, as a little bit of a novelty, and they have actually taken off in store quite quite heavily. So um, feedback seems to be a bit of fun mm. more than a uh, than a than a does it work? Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. <laughs> kit, it, it says it all on the on the on the packet. Kitchen spelled like kitch. Um, I guess there's someone driving behind a three-pointed star thanks to uh, to these bit of plastics, and I suppose that makes them very happy. How much are these, just out of curiosity? Yeah, around about the twelve ninety-five mark. Oh, yeah, I can see why it's popular. It's like, well, it's not stupid expensive. Correct. All right, so we put this in the category of dubious yet fun. 100%. 100%. Yeah. All right. You want to maybe all right, pick out, Josh has brought out some things here. We've got them on the table. Point to one that you reckon is actually a goodie. I will probably point towards the Hack It. So the Chop It, Crush It, Smash It, Mix It product. Yeah. Um, very new and Australian made, might I add. Um, and it effectively is the, the Bolognese Chopper. So Can you... All right, powers of description, Josh. Um, <laughs> um, can you describe this article without... It looks like something rude. Um, so, being a chef myself, yes. obviously we always chuck the mince in the the pan. Um, oh, yeah, okay. And instead of using a, a wooden spoon to to and that's kind uh, of hard. That's a little bit to to tease apart. You're tedious. Yes. Correct. So tedious. instead of doing that, we we push down yes. uh, with the six pointed uh, prong. I guess would be a way. Think uh, think of a potato masher, folks. But instead of a flat surface, doing it. There's sort of these um, the plastic blades. It's sort of like it's a segment. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six? Yeah, six yeah, segments. six. Yep. Um, actually, it looks like, looking from the back, it looks like a dart or something that you'd, you could throw that stabilises. So you do that in the... There we go. There's my demonstration. Does that make things easier? And it just mushes and breaks things up really, really well. Correct. 100%. Um, we have had amazing feedback. Certainly a lot of our uh, staff here have got them as well. Oh, okay. Um, and have proven to be quite successful in the kitchen. Yeah, okay, so what are they saying? Uh, it chops minced meat and mushrooms and pieces. It mashes berries, crushes biscuits for slices. Okay, so it's a musher. There you go, specialised musher in all sorts of lovely colours. It's plastic, and it's designed in Norway, those Norwegians. God, they're smart. Okay. And that retails sixteen ninety five. Sixteen ninety five for a piece of plastic. Yes. But with function. There we go. All right, so we've got that. You seem to think that measuring, to know, to quantify what you've got is an important thing. So you've yes. brought out a couple of corresponding things. Yep. What do you reckon? We've got the, well, we've got the four-in-one measuring spoon and then the all-in-one uh, MIDI measure. So the four-in-one uh, measuring spoon, effectively, instead of having four individual uh, measuring spoons in your cupboard. On a key ring type thing. That Correct. Get in the gap. You got one. You got so one. So double-sided, you've got the teaspoon, oh, and then the you half turn it teaspoon, over. the tablespoon, uh, and the quarter teaspoon as well. So it's all in one. Yeah. Um, and, and they're very functional rather than having that four and getting one lost. You've yeah, got yeah. it all in one. All right, so that's um, good. And that comes in this sort of fluoro green with fluoro grey. Fluoro green. Correct. Attractive. Yeah. Um, so, and and that's, a, that's a zealous British design. So... 
We really are going all around the world to look at this. Josh is just pulling up the price. And again, not that expensive, ten ninety five. All right, so that's kind of good. All right, and then you've got this thing. It looks um, looks like a um, a very generous shot glass, uh, probably about one hundred and twenty mil. Very generous. Oh, there shot it is, one hundred and twenty mil. That's right. Correct, one hundred and twenty mil. So this not only does do the mills, it also does the ounces. It does teaspoon mm. uh, and also tablespoon. So it's like a glass shot glass, big vodka shot. Yes, mm. <laughs> but. Is it a gadget? It's more of a tool, isn't it? A tool, but yeah. a gadget if you don't want to have the, again, like the measuring spoon, it's all in one. Yeah, and look, one of the things I really think everybody should have in their kitchens is the Pyrex jug with um, all the different measurements. It's, it's like it's bigger brother. It's, it's, it's a smaller version yeah. of, of, the, of the Pyrex. And, and I've got two of those always going in the kitchen. They're really, really close by, yep. and that is something that I'm always grabbing because we need to know what we're doing. Exactly right. Especially if we're in pastry where yep. there's, there's no margin for any of that. Exactly. A good measuring jug is um, is good to have. This is its baby brother. That's a good one. And then you've brought out the Savannah Avo Shark. One tool. <laughs> Cut, de-pip, scoop, slice and mash. Gosh, it's the Swiss Army knife uh, for one product. Correct. Do we, do we need this? Novelty. Novelty? Novelty. Yep. Uh, however, it does do, again, it's an all-in-one. Mm. So it's the person who probably does like the avocado and uh, poached eggs every single Saturday and Sunday. Or smashed. Um, yeah. And smashed. And smashed, yes. It is the all-in-one. So instead of having the knife, instead of having the bowl, instead of having the fork, instead of having cutting yourself, it's all-in-one. Yeah. Pull it out, get a bowl, mix it up, mash it, and it is ready to go. All right. Well, look, Josh, I've got a, I'm a little bit dubious about this, but I have to say that it's, 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 it's more valid than it's stupid cousin which was the was the avocado slicer which yeah. was sort of like the egg slicer with the you know the, yes. the the strings and you sort of would do that and it would magically cut your avocado into long About eight seg- segments yeah. i think it was stupid <laughs> stupid thing all right well how much is this how much is the savannah avo shark About 29.95 Woo! okay but it's got a 10-year guarantee which is is kind of good all right well look there's something to maybe get our conversation started back in the studio, but before I do go, there's, there's sort of something that I did want to bring up, and that was silicon. I remember when silicon first came out, the Silpat Max, very, very professional with a very, very big cost behind it, wasn't it? Tell us about silicon and how it's evolved. Well, I mean, silicon back in the day was obviously the, the stock standard non, non-heated melt-in-the-pan product, yeah. uh, and obviously over time it's become quite a uh, protected product where they've been able to create a silicon that, that has drawn a higher heat, yeah. um, right through from, uh, we've got the Silpat mats that we sell in store, and, right through to the pastry. And, and Silpat is a two things, it's silicon and patisserie, wasn't it? Is Correct. that where that first, Correct. if you're wondering folks, that's yes. where that, that name came so from. So a lot of the a lot of the baking mats you see around now that, that pastry chefs use are that high uh, heat silicon, yeah. um, right down to the pastry brushes. Uh, tongs have the silicon heads yeah, now. Awesome, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we're looking at temperatures of anywhere upwards of about 230 degrees at any one time that, that it can withstand over a long period of time. Mm. Um, and definitely the mats had been a big seller in store for us of late. Yes. Um, to, to stop using the baking papers and the alfoils and thing, and all of those sort of reusable products yes. that, you know, we've got in store now. And, so. and dare we say that it's even broadened more that you have something that I reckon is, is something that 
I think is a kitchen staple is um, a, a silicon scraper because you can use it in the pan to uh, to do your like a sofrito. Fantastic for yeah, that. Scrambled eggs in the morning. Scrambled eggs in the morning. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And uh, even spoons and things like that. And yeah. and a silicon baking brush is just a wonderful thing to have too. It is, especially when you're doing you know your chickens and your roasts and you and you know, you got your pastry brushes and and the silicon brushes. Yeah. The last thing you want is all those pastry bristles going everywhere. Oh, we've seen that. How I've seen that. How I've destroyed <laughs> I've so many of them. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh well, that one's going to the bin. Okay, so you have a you have the choice of just about anything in this shop that you can mm-hmm. pretty much take home yep. at a reduced price. You don't walk out with Obviously. it because you're not that sort of person. <laughs> but is there something that you would say that every kitchen needs? I'm going to say as much as it is a piece of equipment, mm. I reckon a KitchenAid planetary mixer. Whoa, okay, pulling so out the big guns. We are talking... So I think everybody should drive a Bugatti Veyron. 100%. 100%. Yeah, okay, so no, okay, so sorry, the... If you have it under a rock, what is it? What is it? It is a. It's it. It is the planetary mixer. It makes cakes. It whips eggs. It is. If you are a baker, that is the product you need. So breads, pastries, uh, doughs, anything to do that. I I love cooking with mine at home, um, and and using that just to create something. You know, without having to stand there. And use that manual labour. And you don't have to knead things anymore. Because no. the, the, the glory of the dough hook and uh, what colour is yours? Pristine blue. Oh, blue. Okay. I've got a, I've got a beige one at home. <laughs> it reminds me of an old Lancia. But anyway, okay, so that's it. Maybe we'll, we'll turn it over to you. Matt and I will have a bit of a chat. Josh, that wasn't too hard, was it? Not at all. Oh, beautiful. Thanks well, for coming in. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Well, thanks for uh, having a chat to us. Um, you've done the service of uh, taking time out. Where is Chef's Hat for those? Chef's Hat's located at 131 Cecil Street in South Melbourne, right opposite the markets. Yeah, so it's easy to find. And Are you having any um, stock take sales coming up or anything like that? Uh, we don't do stock take, but we've also got, always have got our, uh, shelf sales always going on, mm. 365 days of the year. Okay. So have a um, pick the eyes out of chef's hat, to use John's expression, and see if you can find yourself a bargain. Josh, thank you very much. Thanks so much. Mm. <laughs> You're just backing up to go home. <laughs> no, I was actually seeing the opposite. I was getting ready to getting, bring things out of the bag. Getting the gadgets out. I've brought in the what I call the Julie Andrews bag. There you go. That's the sound yeah, right. of kitchen things that are... Uh, going, but I thought what, over to you. Uh, first yeah. of all, what have you got uh, that you can't live without? The one gadget that you would take from my cold dead hands, and I, <laughs> the, I actually, I le- the Charlton Heston. Yes, yes. I learnt this from um, the Heston. About, geez, what fifteen years ago? Now we had Elizabeth Chong on the show, yeah. um, and she came in and said, "You know what, rice cookers, man, they're valid. Like, you know, they're oh, just, totally. they're, they're, that's what we use every day." It's like, oh. so if you haven't, um, you can pick up a cheap rice cooker for probably thirty bucks. Probably cheaper actually if you go to a no-name shop. Um, and we hammer our rice cooker. I think I've pr- probably used it twice a week for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. It's a very good little gadget. Not that cooking rice on the, on the stove is a difficult thing. But yeah, this but is you just, can do it with one finger. Yeah, this is just set and forget. You put the water in, you put everything, and it ends up fluffy, and it sits there for as long as you want it. So rice cooker would be my top of the tree. Is it a gadget? It most certainly is. And it's a single-use gadget. It's a gadget? Although I think really? it's a gadget. I think it's more of an appliance. Well, okay. You can do risottos in it too, but you don't get quite as good of results as if you actually do it on the stove. And you can do pilafs in it. Really, really well. Yes, which is um, is, is is valid. And what about good. you, Cam? What's in your uh, well, little green bag there of fun gadgets? Uh, go bring it out. Um, what have I got? So yeah, here it is, the cherry pipper. 
Ow! <laughs> <laughs> or uh, you can pierce someone's ears with these, I suppose. Yeah, that looks... You, without an anaesthetic. But also it was pointed out that you can also use it as an olive pepper, so long as your olives aren't too small. Yes. Yeah. That was Tara who mentioned that on Twitter. Hello, oh, Tara. Yeah, yeah, Tara Bishop. She's the one who dragged me up Gee, to Red Hill. Hi, Tara. This is Thanks, an old-school-looking so olive pepper, isn't it? Or cherry old pepper. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, the other thing I think... Um, okay, one thing I think you really should ah, have yes. in your kitchen... There you go. Do you know what that mystery sound was, folks? Um, that's uh, that's actually a microplane. So it is... Um, These actually started out being frightfully expensive, what, 10 years ago, and now they're quite affordable. You can get a, a, a proper branded microplane grader for probably, what, 30 or 40 bucks? Yeah, yeah, you can, and uh, that would be the one to go for because I got this cheap knockoff, yeah. uh, which was about 5 bucks. How's that going? Not as good. It's yeah. funny that the blades aren't as good, and when you grate something, it doesn't feel as nice. Yeah. But I would definitely say that. And also, Matty... Um, I have some, had some serious envy when I came to your place because, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you mm. know the, the old school willow cheese grater that has all the different things around that? Like the box grater. The box grater. Matt has its uptown equivalent. Explain. It is. So think microplanes. It's, it's a Maxwell and Williams branded uh, grater, mm. but yeah, the, the grating services on there are just as fine and sharp as a microplane, um, and you have all the different sizes of... Of, of great ability. It's very cool. I got it from Chef's Hat, actually, believe it or not. I think, I I think it was about 30 bucks. want one. Yeah, it's good. There you go. Envy. It's good. Envy, that's not good. Now, one thing, it, probably this would be one of the things that you would pry out of my cold, dead hands. You are holding there what looks like a very uptown potato peeler. It is. It's the Xylus, um, the greatest peeler of all. <laughs> one, one pillar to bring them all and in the darkness behind oh, them. Yeah. Oh, thanks, because I was going on a Whitney thing. Yeah, right. Because the <laughs> greatest pillar. But this is good. It I, sits well in my right, hands. Stop it. I okay, stopping. I have stopping. one of these too, and this is why. This is under, under 10 bucks, around 10 bucks. Yeah, around about 10 and bucks. And this is one of the greatest upgrades you can give to your kitchen, I would say. And Nicole's nodding, is a... Very every, uptown peeler. Every time you used to just get, God, I wish, I'm glad I spent the money on that that guy there. Uh, what else have I got to say? Um, things that you really, really need. Thermometers. Yes. Um, thermometers are great, like if you're going to do some deep frying, because one knows that you should never buy a deep fryer for the home. No, don't do it. Just put some wool <laughs> in a pot. Uh, the other thing was silicon. Uh, an oyster knife is a good thing to have. And a Japanese uh, cutter, Yoast Baker, has just sent... Oh, the must-have gadget is an oat roller. Well, yeah, actually, that's true. I was that's, very impressed with his oat roller. That, that was a beauty it. there. Yoast, yeah. thanks for, for writing in. Uh, oh, we got 50 got, seconds. Here we go. You ready? to do, yes. <clears throat> First of all, yes. we've got to say huge congratulations to Kim Maxwell. Who picked up the prize. The tote, which is kind of And, good. of course, the answer, the symbiosis between the truffle and the tree was... The tree gives the sugar, the, and the truffle gives the phosphorus. Yeah. So that's why it doesn't work well if you've got too much chooks around, because the phosphorus is all over the place. Um, also, the exciting news is that it is... International Negroni Week. Um, Starts tomorrow, yeah? Yeah, 6th to the 12th. Um, tune in to, I think Broadsheet have got an article on that, but I know that I spoke to Abe from Lily Blacks, and he says that $1 from every Negroni sold will go to the Sacred Heart Mission. Oh, that's very cool. So you can get bombed <laughs> knowing that people will be better get for bomb it. for charity. Bomb for charity. Um, also, we have to say a huge thanks to... Well, actually, it's more in anticipation because mm -hmm. this station is so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, Matt. I'm winding me up. I know. Okay, sorry, sorry. 
Sunday lunch coming on, JVG coming on after that. Strange holiday, I have to say thank you for a transcendental moments when I was chopping pumpkin. Perfect music. And maybe one of the greatest broadcasters on this station, Jonathan Alley. On Sunday evenings, I agree. Under the sun. God, he's a class act. Anyway, it's all in front of us. Sunday lunch is on. We're going to go now. I think we're cool. We're cool. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.